You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Nostalgia is one of the strongest forces in the human psyche and is responsible for the continued existence of some of our favorite fandoms. From the minds behind the Dolphin Dreams podcast and Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine, Saturday Morning Confidential takes you on a deep dive into the properties that helped influence the artists and creators of today. So whether you are a Goonie, a Gem Girl, a Digi Destined, or you just want to return to Oz... New episodes release on Fridays bi-weekly starting January 1st of 2021. And join us on the Wednesdays after the main show for the Serial Killer Radio Hour, where we sit down with the people responsible for the toys, shows, and fandoms that you love. Now you can find Saturday Morning Confidential at certainpov.com backslash smcpod or on your favorite podcast platforms. So don't forget to tune in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Welcome back to another episode of VHS Gems, the Geek Elite Media podcast in which we open up the treasure box of old VHS films from our past and see whether or not they're totally awesome, like they live in our memories, or if they should just stay in the past where they belong. Or like maybe be like $3 in a bargain bin. (laughs) Or be redone. And rebooted. Um, this is Jessica, and joining with me is John. Hey, that's me. And today we are talking about the sci-fi, I would say cult classic, Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, this would be the second movie in the unofficial John trilogy, um, involving also uh, the Explorers and The Last Starfighter. So, I guess we need to add The Last Starfighter to our list. Wasn't it already in there? I have no idea anymore, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I feel like that list just keeps getting bigger. You know, I, I pull some out and I'm like, I don't remember ever writing this down to be watched. But, mm. <laughs> but apparently I did. There's a little gem fairy that's sneaking movies in there. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> Magic is real. You heard it here on VHS Trumps. I feel like I'd seen this movie before, but I definitely did not remember a lot of it. So it was definitely a long time ago. It is considered a Disney film in the fact that Buena Vista Pictures, which is Walt Disney, um, distributed it in the United States. But it's actually more of an independent film. Disney didn't really film it themselves. They just put their name yeah. on it and spread it out what, through the you, U.S. <laughs> that makes me wonder 
if the movie was better for that or worse. Because although it had some pretty groundbreaking special effects, uh-huh. upon rewatching it, I do see that the movie's plot is a little weak. Yeah, I would, especially for sci-fi films of the time, because this came out in 86. Yep. Yeah. But I honestly, I don't know. And it's not really saying, I can't really find anywhere how much work Disney actually did on it, if they helped film it or not, because it was filmed. It takes place in Florida. It was filmed in Fort Lauderdale, Florida as well. Um, But it was also filmed in Norway, under the production company called Viking Film. So I don't... But it's really not going into... De- well, I guess I could go more into production on their <laughs> Wikipedia page. But I'm pretty sure there's a... There's going to be a documentary that comes out soonish called mm-hmm. In Search of Tomorrow. Um, mm. It's by the same people that did In Search of Darkness, which was a very very comprehensive history of horror movies it was like four hours long and it's got two parts so i don't even know how long in total it'll be Uh, but yeah they have in search of tomorrow which is going to be all about 80s sci-fi movies and i know that this one's going to be in there because it's in the trailer so i bet we'll find out some interesting nuggets in that little uh review yeah i mean it it has to because it it really was one of the first films to really use a lot of CGI effects. From what I in can w- see. Yeah, in a way that yeah. did, didn't look overly cartoony. Um, this definitely had like those first baby steps of what would eventually become the liquid metal from like Terminator 2. Yeah, that's what it was kind of reminding me of. That looked really seamless for the time I liked that 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 looked so seamless yet on the puppet work for the little (laughs) thing that he adopts I don't know if you noticed but you can see the fishing line I was like uh, upon this time around with the higher definition the clarity yeah you can see all the little strings puppeteering that little thing that's like oh it takes away some of that magic should have watched you know what hasn't aged though and this is one of the cool things about like practical effects and physical props that ship's interior still looks amazing it does it looks really cool although the the plastic of it that like metal of it just reminds me of the plastic toys that had metal on it like that cheap <laughs> it looks uh, like <laughs> plastic um, metal plated, stuff. i don't even yeah. know what it, yeah chrome plated plastic that's what it kind of reminded uh, me of and, and i can't even think of the toy that had that but Oh, there's yeah, there's been a few that have that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but something about that aesthetic to me is still feels like perfect for its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it captures a certain I don't know, I guess I just like all those symmetrical patterns in the the raised metal and how everything just looks like it fluidly like morphs into whatever they need to, the shape of a cockpit seat and the controls and all that stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, that that was pretty cool. The hidden buttons in order to pilot the ship, too, that he had to quickly find after the ship Max turns into Pee Wee Herman. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> which, you know, which, funny thing to note about that. Uh-huh. When it first came out, I, I swore that was Pee Wee Herman. But yeah. it, in the credits, it says it was credited to someone named mm-hmm. Paul Mull. Now, Pee Wee Herman's real name is Paul Rubens. 
mm-hmm. and supposedly years later it came out that it really was him he just didn't want to put his name on it for one reason or another i can't remember exactly what it was um maybe because he had just done peewee's big adventure yeah. and wanted to i don't know not have two things coming out simultaneously but now upon re-listening to it I was like, it sounds like somebody doing a Pee-wee impression, not Pee-wee himself. Yeah, it it does. Well, I mean, especially when it does the ha ha parts, you're <laughs> like, okay. Because I was reading the trivia while I was watching this time, which I usually don't do, but I just felt like reading the trivia mainly because I. I remembered seeing. I thought I had seen the ship before, and so it was nice to have it confirmed that I did see that ship on um, this um, Hollywood Studios ride in Walt Disney World called um, Backlot Tours, which they had mm. a bunch of cool props from movies that Disney was part Didn't of. Didn't they also have um, one of the skips from Return of the Jedi, one of Jabba's little sails? Yep. Yeah, they had one of Jabba's sails. They had. I think the plane from Casablanca for a bit, or part of the plane from Casablanca. Yeah, well, they were miniatures, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and it's also debated that that was actually the plane too. But um, <laughs> they had a few other things. They also had—I um, can't remember what they called it—but it was like going through the neighborhoods, and they had the actual sets of like the outside part of like the Brady Bunch house and the I don't okay. know Family Matters, a bunch of houses from Telepubis. So, yeah. Like the facades for the outside? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the facades of the outside. And then in the line system, I'm going to go on tangent about this ride because I miss this ride. They no longer have (laughs) it because now the area is, I want to say, Galaxy's Edge right now. But in the line, you would get like a behind the scenes look of how filming worked and like specifically a scene from I think the movie Pearl Harbor in which they would pull like just regular people and give them roles from a action sequence to Pearl Harbor in which they show like you hear a plane coming in and shooting at the water and then they showcase how the effect of having like a little water gun underneath the water to make it shoot up makes it look like bullets are hitting the water and stuff like that and a huge flood when a ship goes down and it's just it's hilarious it's um backlot tours ride there are videos of it everywhere on youtube look it up it's great it has a fascinating history it had like a huge warehouse you could walk through of a bunch of props it had like props from um roger rabbit and all that it was just it's great and then you went through props yeah and it was like you went through a live film set that was a disaster cannon canyon and it's like stuff is exploding and there's an earthquake in the middle and you're just like your little tour car thing is stuck in it it's just it's hilarious it terrified me as a kid but it was hilarious (laughs) later on um and fun but yeah you can find a really awesome history of that i i really wish i remember the name of the guy that does the really good one if i remember it throughout this podcast i'll be sure to plug him in I think it's called I think it's called Extinct Rides something like that um there's a there's a site called Defunct Land that has a lot of that like oh rides that no longer have at Disneyland yeah it might be Defunct Land and it might be his Extinct Ride 
series. I'm not for sure because I know there's like two different people that do it too. Mm. So, which Defunctland also has really cool Disney stuff on it too, and other park it, it stuff does. on it too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, they they had they had the ship, the prop of the ship, or one of the props of the ship in here of Max, and then once Backlack Tours closed down, Disney like put the props everywhere like the Casablanca plane supposedly went to um, the Jungle Cruise and mm. they had a joke about an airplane crash in the middle of the jungle there and then apparently the top part of the hole of this spaceship is actually a little I think it's called rocket cooler spot it's like in Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom and it's like just this red rocket on top of of like a f- fountain drink area that you go and get a drink at like it's just, and it's got a little mister underneath it i think it's some of their cooling stations that they have because florida gets humid and mm. you need cooling stations so yeah you can if you look up i think i just searched for flight of the navigator ship in tomorrowland and you'll see a picture of the red rocket <laughs> and it's painted red now Yep, it's it's painted red. It looks it doesn't quite look exactly the same. Like I think they just took the top part of it, um, and it looks like they added a little bit to make it not so obvious that that's what it was. But it's definitely the framework for this rocket. Well, yeah, why waste good props? You know, if they're huge and you know don't want to sell them because they could be valuable. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, Disney is pretty much now constantly reusing props all over the place in the parks for rides that get replaced with other rides usually they'll save a prop from that original ride and it'll be some easter egg within the ride i want to say for when tower of terror and disneyland got redone in the line for it before you get on what was the elevators in Tower of Terror. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's the, uh, who's the guy that collect The collector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the co- it's his collector. It's his like little museum thing that you're visiting on the Guardians of the Galaxy mission dropout, mission something. Mm-hmm. Um, in inside the line before you get on the little elevator pods, um, you can find one of the old Yeti props from from the mountain that's in Disneyland, Matterhorn, from Matterhorn. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. Sorry. This... Yeah. I see the picture now. Yeah, they, they made it look retro-futuristic because they added some, like, thrusters and a little, like, fin to it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it kind of looks like the ship from Futurama now. It does, kind of. That's what I thought, too. It's just not quite as round as it. Yeah, it's, um... It definitely like, looks like it's the top part, but, uh... Yeah, interesting how they did that there. They just repainted it, and I don't know. It looked cool when it was all chrome, but... It well. did. I feel like that probably would have been too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> no. it, we don't, we don't technically Disney. own this one because it wasn't made by us, but we have it, so let's do something with it. I mean, it. I, I am, I'm, I'm wondering how that works because... They distributed it here in the United States, but it was another production company, PSO Productions, that distributed it internationally. So I, I wonder how much PSO owns and how much Disney owns. You know, knowing I don't know Eisner, how that works. 
Yeah, Eisner probably put it in the contract that they would have to, um, you know, like, give them the ship for promotional purposes and then just Mm -hmm. kept it afterward. Yeah, I guess. It was, I mean, it was supposed to be done through Disney by 1984, according to Wikipedia. But then it couldn't be sold or they couldn't approve it at the time. And then later on, I guess once it was finished, then they could approve it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a lot of information known about it, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. We're going to learn later on. Hmm. So... Uh, We've definitely gone into a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff and haven't said a lick of the plot yet, really. <laughs> what is the plot of this it's, one? You know, there really isn't a lot, honestly. <laughs> it's It starts off, it looks at first, it's a fake-out because you think you're seeing a UFO flying over oh, like a cityscape. There's like three fake-outs in the first <laughs> like 20 minutes, and I absolutely adored them. I was like, this is awesome like i don't know it's probably because of the other 80s sci-fi films that weren't that huge i guess at the time like the more culty ones i mean like explorers and just uh what is it black hole yeah the black hole mm. i guess that wasn't 80s though was it it was like 70s it was wasn't 1979 it? i think all right that's fair but like those ones don't have gags like that not that that's a gag but it doesn't have that kind of fake out moment in it where it's like almost making fun of those other films or making fun of those old alien where everyone just freezes and looks up at the sky and oh it's a blimp like it's just I liked those shots it was great and then when the alien ship actually comes you're like oh okay this is where it's at (laughs) yeah so Basically, for some reason, our main character, named David, decided to enter a frisbee catching contest with his dog, and his dog clearly has no interest in catching frisbees. Was he entered in it? That's. Well, I was so confused whether or not they just went to the park to watch a dog frisbee just competition. To watch it. And I, I straight up, I actually watched this with both my parents this time so I literally turned to them and I was like was this something that you guys would do in the 80s like just go to the park to watch a random competition <laughs> it was they didn't have internet back then you know, I know like, that was not a lot to do he was like so my dad was literally like yeah probably like <laughs> there just wasn't a lot to do I'm like that's I mean the fair. 60s were over and disco sucked so yeah, and I guess daytime TV wasn't that great, so he no, went to the park. It was like three channels. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's the 4th of July. They made a big deal about it because they mm-hmm. said we're going to go throw off some fireworks later. And David is going to his friend's house. Along the way, his little brother, who they have that typical big brother, little brother kind of, you know, animosity where mm-hmm. they just kind of tease each other. Yeah. Um, they make a lot of references to like, oh, you like this girl. And she was like, yeah, she doesn't even know who I am or whatever. And along the way, um, the little brother was hiding on the tree, scares David. Jeff was the little brother's name. Yeah. And he basically chases him back home. He falls into a ditch 
when he gets up or I guess regains consciousness, he goes back home and it's not his home anymore. There's a completely different couple living there. Everything's mm-hmm. different. Yep. And he's like, what's going on? And then at this time, um, NASA is dealing with that they've found this silver spaceship. And they don't really know how to get in it or anything. Yeah, and it's just the, floating near some power lines that knocked out the power to something. Uh, yeah, and, you know, the police eventually get David and... They figure out he's this missing kid that hasn't aged a day from eight years ago. And I honestly don't know why anybody's first thought wasn't, well, clearly this is time travel. But (laughs) I don't know. Like, how do you not, how do you explain that a kid did not age for eight years? I mean, yeah, at first everybody's a little weirded out by it. But the parents are like, oh, cool, you're back. Like, they were totally (laughs) not wanting to question it and they were just happy that their kid was back and yeah it was healthy the little kid clearly is very traumatized by this he passes out um he sees his little brother is now his big brother Mm -hmm. and it's all very like almost like a horror movie premise you know like the way they frame it it's like this is very scary to the kid. It is. Well, now he's gonna get experimented on because they do um, an EEG on his brain. EEG, yeah, yeah. They measure your brain waves. Um, yeah. They do that on him, and it. I don't. It talks to the computer in binary code, like his brain, and it prints out a picture of the spaceship that NASA has. And so the NASA scientists basically are like, well, we're going to take care of you now for 48 hours. And it's clearly just so they can basically experiment on him. They don't do too horrible of things, but you kind of sort of see that it was going to get to the point where they would do very horrible things and unethical things. I mean, they already were going to keep him past the 48 hours that they initially said they would only need him for without telling him or his parents. And they had his parents under observation. So they were already at unethical territory, even for the 80s. So (laughs) Yeah, that NASA director just had all of the slimy 80s, like, sci-fi villain tropes, like, nailed Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is where you get Sarah Jessica Parker coming in. A young teenager. In her feature film debut. Yeah. Um, She is, like, the, I don't know, just... She's not a nurse. She's a, I don't know, an assistant. She's like some kind of orderly or something. Yeah, Yeah. like an orderly in this NASA place. And she helps a robot deliver food to David. Yes, Ralph, I think was his name, wasn't it? Yeah, you get this background of her that she's definitely like a military brat. I imagine Air Force with that she's working with um, NASA, but I don't think it really says what kind of brat she is. And I just, I feel so let down. (laughs) Was this the character you thought you would relate to the most? No. Well, I actually liked her character. I really liked it. My let down is the fact that when he, I mean, I'm going to jump right to the end here. When he gets back to his actual time, I'm kind of let down that she wasn't like just moving into his town or something. 
like fresh oh, some kind of a um like, like callback or yeah like a callback to her or like you know this is where she was eight years ago kind of thing and now because i don't know they had a sort of i wouldn't call it chemistry because he's a kid and she's mm. like an older teen i guess <laughs> she was, maybe yeah, 18 she was had to be in her late teens early 20s but i really felt like since they you know introduced you know before all of this crazy stuff happened they introduced that he liked that girl from afar but would never talk to her kind of thing and then he built this kind of relationship or trust with sarah jessica parker's character and then it just kind of goes nowhere other than she does help him escape but then she's gone for the rest of the movie it like well, it was, was just like kind of a waste of character i guess well, upon rewatch, that's kind of my takeaway, too, is like, yeah, like, not a lot actually happens in this. Like, the mm-hmm. boy goes on a little, you know, space adventure, like, learning how to pilot this alien ship, mm-hmm. teaches the onboard AI to have a personality. But at the yeah. end, it all kind of becomes undone, because apparently going back in time sort of resets that, and it, like, never happens, essentially. Yeah. It so, basically... Yeah, I guess it it never happens because they travel back in time, so he never went missing. So NASA never yeah. found the ship. Yeah. Um, which is where I think it would have been fun to have a character from that eight years later come back to the past, and I feel like that character had to been Sarah Jessica Parker's character, and I think it's mainly because she actually did quite good in this part. Like it was such a small part, but I was she was very believable, very much like I like this. I liked her acting. I was like. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. She looked she, like a nine, late 80s like young adult. Like She fit the part yeah, perfectly. She, she fit it perfectly and I think she stood out and especially for like a first time role in kind of sort of a weird independent film-ish. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of nice. Was co-filmed in like Norway or something for apparently no apparent reason. Like it didn't need reshoots or anything up there. Other than I think they just needed a small production company to finish and and they film in Norway I do not know I will note that the the little ravine he falls in I don't think I've seen anything like that anywhere in Florida without it also being filled with water (laughs) (laughs) well it was an unusually dry year probably I guess but that's Fort Lauderdale (laughs) (laughs) maybe they were slightly more above ground than the rest of the surrounding area I don't know. I don't know. My family lives in Florida, so I don't... I would definitely be, like, snakes and stuff. This was, like, the least Florida film of Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It didn't look muggy and hot like like it probably should. Yeah. Plus, that's where I think, like, Disney did not have, like, a huge foot in this, because they definitely would have flown over Disney World. Yeah, or at least seen Epcot Center because that's probably the most alien-looking structure in that time over there. I will note the music from this movie really made me think of the music that you hear in Epcot and in Tomorrowland, but more Epcot where it's more like synthesized sci-fi music. Absolutely adore it. Yeah. This this movie sounded to me like the music in Big Trouble in Little China. Really? And I think that's because, yeah, if, if you look, because, so, I don't know when the last time you watched Big Trouble in Little China was. It's been quite a bit. I need to watch it okay. again, for sure. So, 
John Carpenter, who we discussed in our last episode, um, also did Big Trouble in Little China. And John Carpenter is one of those like working directors. Like he does a lot of his. He likes to be very hands on with the movie.、Mm-hmm. And one of the things he does is music as well. Ah. And so, like in the thing, even though technically there's not a lot of music, you just kind of hear like a thudding sound throughout, like a really bassy like thump. That's its own you know? form of cinematic music, though. That's like setting a scene. And, yeah, yeah. And、um, so, for Big Trouble in Little China, he got like a whole band, and I think he plays keyboard. Like that's his main instrument, I believe.、Hmm. So, there's a lot of heavy synthesizer in Big Trouble in Little China, specifically in the theme song, which is called Big Trouble in Little China. Because some、huh. of the score has some vaguely Oriental like tones to it, but the actual theme song,、mm-hmm. I don't know who sings it, but he plays the keyboard on it, and it sounds so eighties. And、ah. it, it reminded me as soon as the music, is, as soon as you started hearing the music in this one, which is by Alan Silvestri, by the way, who、yep. did Back to the Future and all the way up to Avengers Endgame. I mean, he's、mm-hmm. just prolifically working on things. He did.、Um, Before that, I think he also worked on the one with the v- VR.、Uh, what was it? Virtual、that? reality VR. <laughs>、uh, Ready Player One. Awesome. Oh, he did. Oh. He also did the music for that, which was、okay. very evident because there was a lot of callbacks to Back to the Future.、Um, yeah, yeah. A l- but yeah, a lot it, of them. it's this one just has like this sounds like if if you can get 1980s in like a can. Mm-hmm. This is what that what would come out of that like that specific sound. Yeah, well, it's he's using a syn clavier, clavier. I don't know how you say that. So, I guess it's one of the first multi-track records using the syn clavier thing. Clavier. I don't know how you would、mm. say that. It's a synthesizer, I assume.、Um, yeah. There was. <laughs> At the time when they are lost trying to get back to Florida from Japan,、um, <laughs> they pull over to ask directions from a group of teens in a car, and there's this song playing that I first thought was like Devo. Then I thought maybe Talking Heads, but I'd never heard this song before. And apparently, it's nobody knows the song. I, I did a search and nobody knows what this song is. I, I think it's a parody song. Like, yeah, I think they made it specifically for the movie. They did, but I don't see it within the soundtrack, though. Oh, it's like, gonna be one of those. Where it would be? It's like one of those Easter. It's gonna be、songs. out there. Like, I'm, I'm sure it'll be out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I can find it on like YouTube. At least the song itself, but. Yeah, the song itself is called "Trapped in My Mind." Yeah, which is apparently supposed to be a parody of The Cure's "A Man Inside My Mouth." And、um, oh, okay, ah, I guess it、okay. was written and and performed by the musical producers of the movie. I guess. So Alan Silvestri、uh, and. I'm pretty sure it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, it's not listed as being on the f- official soundtrack album, which I thought was interesting because it, you know, has words in it. So you think it would be within the album? It's a fun,、yeah. weird, random thing. 
about this movie that's actually which, which, fairly random <laughs> which is also very um super 80s sounding and the all of the i guess they're supposed to be teenagers in the car yeah I mean, they got, like, the super hairsprayed hair, and, like, I think the girls have shoulder pad dresses on. Oh, yeah. It's, the yeah. most 80s of 80s. I thought that was the most kind of sort of interesting thing, because, like, to me, the difference between, what, was, what would it be, 78 and 86 isn't crazy dra- drastic other than in clothing and music. But, like, they had TVs. It was, like, the biggest difference for this kid was the thing that the NASA guy gave him moving was, this is a TV wand. <laughs> like, I was, like, to that kid, uh, like, yes. boom, the, what's the a remote old, control? Uh, television wands. I think that term probably was a real product in the 80s, like oh, sharper yeah. image or something. Oh, yeah. Now it's, like, it's a remote just a tv wand i don't know like i'm i'm more like the difference between 95 and 2005 is pretty dramatic the amount of technology i mean yeah. cell phones and all that stuff See, 78 I to 86 I don't, I, I don't know i think i think my family didn't have a a digital tv or a remote control tv till the late 90s i remember growing up with like those TVs that still had the dials on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember seeing that there were remote control TVs starting mm-hmm. as far back as I think the 60s, maybe. But they weren't like infrared. They were basically just like a cord, a mm-hmm. long cord. They were, they were corded remotes. Yeah. And I was like, that's. What? Well, I guess that makes sense. Before we get to that point, we kind of start somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like 2000, I think. Maybe we got our first DVD machine. Yeah, it would have come out in late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, because I feel like we had... I think the first ones we got was Independence Day and The Matrix on DVD. I think those were the first films we got. That was like late 90s completely tangential but one of my favorite movies is the wedding singer and i absolutely love the scene where the snobby rich guy comes home with a cd player and he says this is like the latest thing it cost me a thousand bucks but it sounds amazing i was like wow i was like at that time you can get a cd player for twenty dollars you know at walmart yeah i I remember my parents because my dad loves like rock music and they he would play it all the time and we had a pretty good cd system where we had like the six where you could load six cds at the same time Ooh, and you, you could shuffle ones, yeah yeah i was like and we had big speakers and and stuff we were i was always listening to rock and roll going up and that was just, i could we had that thing for a long time though i think probably till 98 maybe i don't know i feel like we had it for my whole childhood at least all the people that got rid of their record players not realizing in just 20 years they'd start making a comeback i know yeah i I have one one of the little briefcase ones in my room Mm. (laughs) 
And my dad doesn't get it. He's like, digital sounds better. You know, it sounds better. I was like, yeah, but like, there's something about putting the record on that forces me to really pay attention to the songs on the album. Yeah, there really is. I mean, it's the closest to the physical representation of the sound because mm-hmm. the actual sound wave is on the vinyl. It's awesome. Well, yeah, like that's cool. Digital does sound pure. I'll admit that because, but there's a significant difference. Like I have, my dad still had some of his records. Thankfully, they were not in great condition, but one that was in pretty decent condition was Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Oh, wow. That That's a good one to have. So- yes, I know. I was like, oh my God. And that one sounds so amazing. Whereas if I buy like a modern album, like say um, Foo Fighters just came out with Medicine at Midnight, which the album on its own is, is really great. I really love the songs on it. But when you buy the album version, like the record version of it, it's like they intentionally add tone to it to make it sound like it's a record and it makes it sound wonky. Like it just sounds like it's forcing this old fashioned sound on it when it's just like, no, just sound like how you're supposed to sound. Whereas Rumor sounds like pristine other than it's got like a few dust on it. I need to clean it, but I'm too mm. afraid to clean it and mess it up. But um, yeah, I had like Rumor and like a Steely Dan and I don't know, my mom had like Sheena Easton and stuff like that. Some of them were pretty <laughs> bent and wonky, but Anytime I can, when I'm in a city, I go to a used record store because used records are so much sound so much better than new albums that come out. So. Oh yeah, because that has a lot to do with how things were mixed. I've I've seen reports about how, because of modern technology, even when they press them on vinyl, they're still mm-hmm. mixing them for two like different standards, so they yeah. just don't sound the same. No, like um, I think it's one of Adele's album. I think it's Adele 21. She ends up sounding really sharp on one of her notes that she sings because of whatever they do to make it a record. I don't know, but it just sounds creaky. It's weird. Anyway, that was could be the range. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was a weird, weird tangent. But that's where we went. Records. (laughs) I don't know. Like I just, I, I still don't. Like, he didn't seem that... Like, you didn't get a scene of him being shocked of the tech advantage, I guess. Like, he literally just goes and grabs the remote and uses it like any 80s kid would. Like, it's not like he was like, what's this magic box? Well, <laughs> they show him earlier in the scene when NASA comes to, like, scoop him up mm-hmm. when he's still with his parents. You can see that his older brother, well, his you know, previously younger brother, now older brother, is showing him like a little handheld video game. So, oh, yeah. you know, something like back in like the late 70s, the most advanced handheld game they would have would be like those LCD football games. And I think they had one mm-hmm. called um, Merlin, which was, I mean, basically nothing more complex than Simon, if you really think about it. You know, it's just. Okay. LEDs and maybe some musical tones, hmm. um, but the I, I think the implication, and we're probably thinking way too much about it, probably. is that he probably got a little bit like used to the change in technology, because um, hmm. it wasn't really showing you all that much about it. Um, I did like, however, that when they brought him to NASA. Um, they gave him like a gift package of like toys and stuff of like the time and some of them were transformers and i was like yes 
And I think I even had the same one. It was uh, the Black Jet uh, ah. Skywarp. Yeah. Cool. I, I like, liked the... That's my the, toys. The black satin NASA hat that he had that one of the aliens eats. I don't know why I was like, that hat? <laughs> I like that. I would buy that hat. You know, <laughs> like retro. I thought that, I thought that there hat. was going to be like a tracking chip or something on the hat. That that's why they gave that to him. I, it was le- sincerely just a gift. I was like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Those, those government you corporations know, always just giving away all their free crap. Tangential to all of this, but speaking of Disney and things of that nature mm-hmm. tomorrowland yes i was so disappointed with that movie oh the movie but, yes <gasps> but it also features uh nasa quite a bit because that's kind of central to the main characters like motivations it she also has a nasa hat but it, it's much different than this one it's like red it and is. it has a, the more modern nasa logo on it yeah i i need to rewatch that movie the I potential is love, there. That yeah, it's just the look of it was so much like this is exactly what Walt Disney yeah. wanted Tomorrowland to look like, like that stuff and the whole. Also, ironically, like, yeah, this wasn't a movie about a place called Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. It was literally like Disney existed in this reality. Yeah. So it's almost like if it was saying, "See, uh, this." Is the I don't know why <laughs> we're we totally to... avoiding this movie, even though this wasn't actually that bad. No, but it wasn't. I did want to say one of the most frustrating things about Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. they get to the point when they get to the Eiffel Tower and they say, oh, the, the collective brain trust of humanity, the, the smartest people, Tesla, Edison, Einstein, uh-huh. all of them came together to like create this utop- you know, utopic uh, location and you know, yeah. all this other stuff. And then we just move away from that. And yeah. I guess we're, we're led to assume that Disney was one of those people. Because yeah. we see the World's Fair, like what was it, the 64? five world fair whichever one it was or i think so yeah yeah where um they had like a demonstration of it's a small world Mm -hmm. and you know all this so so disney exists in this reality yeah but so that means that like the tomorrowland of disneyland Mm -hmm. was the model or the basis or like it so much potential but they squander it on a really Actually, crappy plot. Yes. Um, so another ride for you to look at is um, somebody f- riding um, what's called the People Mover, which is a really, really awesome, really slow ride that's just like the perfect break from the heat of Florida. It was one of those like hidden gems that only like really Disney people knew, but then we talked about it too much, and now everybody goes on it, and it's kind of annoying. But anyway. <laughs> I've been on the one in the Anaheim yeah so disney world still has theirs up and running and it there's a part of it that goes through walt disney's world of tomorrow or city of tomorrow i think is what they call and it's like that model that Mm. he built of the city of tomorrow and it looks so it's like one of my favorite things to look at i have to go on this ride every time and i like like try to find something new on the model that you pass for like two minutes or like a minute every time you know that scene in Iron Man 2, when Tony Mm -hmm. Stark is watching the old film reels of his dad, and it looks just like the world of tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's a Disney thing that they're doing there. Wonderful world of Disney when Walt would do his like Disney report thing and like what was coming up next, which I think he did do one for Epcot. I'm not for sure. I feel like because 
he had Epcot, like the idea of Epcot before he died, I think. And then I got scratched. I'm not for sure. I don't know. I'd have to dig into my Disney history. But he was always big into trying to figure out that perfect future. We are way going on a tangent. You got to get me away from the Disney thing, John. (laughs) No, I want to talk about it too. That's a sad part. One of the first attractions in Disneyland, I think it's Disneyland, was the House of Tomorrow. In which it was like the house that had all the coolest gadgets at the time yeah. in the 50s. Yeah. Love like, watching those videos. Yeah. Disney was obsessed with the idea of technology helping people and being beneficial and stuff. And yes, I, I mean, Walt Disney was a flawed man himself. He was a man of the time. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, he had like a lot of really interesting ideas and he was such a huge invent, like, innovator which is why that was my favorite thing about tomorrowland was that they made walt disney on the same line as like tesla and then like an edison and it's just showing that yeah you need science but you also need creativity you need you can't just do stem you gotta do steam kind of thing i don't know yeah get me away from disney i will like talk about it for like two hours (laughs) but back to flight of the navigator um i like controversial opinion i would have preferred max to stay just an ai the entire time and not get a human personality that was basically peewee herman i don't think i liked that part (laughs) yeah or yeah maybe just not be peewee herman yeah maybe just not be peewee herman but like it wasn't like the voice was fine I just when he did the ha ha part you're like why do you gotta do the thing that Pee Wee does like you have a great voice you're not just one character dude just just stop but I don't know I feel like the movie went downhill after that part happened like it had such build and potential I also feel like that kid should be dead from being launched into space that quickly without like a harness protecting his neck because that kid should have yeah. had a whiplash and been paralyzed. I'm sorry. They they weren't <laughs> consistent with the inertial effects of uh, no. moving fast. Because early on, they show you that he is kind of pinned to the seat. Mm-hmm. And then later, he's floating. So it doesn't yeah. have anti-gravity, of course. Yeah, and he then later, slams he's fine. into the roof. of <laughs> <laughs> Just slams right into it. And then he kind of floats and then falls. It's just... I was like, no, it shouldn't. And he's... <laughs> I'd like to believe that those metal panels are so advanced that they're actually kind of soft and they can cushion the the blow. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So it doesn't liquefy. Yeah, I guess. I don't don't know. Maybe it's like that bubble thing in Explorers where, like, it produces impact or something. There's no force inside of it. I don't know. But, um... They mentioned... The the scientists of the film mention a lot the speed of light theory, which isn't quite the right term for the theory, like at all basically and then i noticed in the goofs portion of the database imdb um they just they were crapping on the science of this sci-fi film like well if you if you take in the calculations of this they're actually going 99.9999% of the speed of light cuz you can't actually reach the speed of light at all and it's just I don't know, I just thought it was hilarious that 
people were taking this science theory of a child sci-fi movie in the 80s so no serious. i thought about that too because um i remember thinking way back in the day mm-hmm. like wait if they were going at the speed of light assuming they were going at the speed of light they said mm-hmm. that the place was like 560,000 light years or whatever that was that they said it was yeah. like a hell of a long distance even yeah. at the speed of light, it would take it would, you that many years because mm-hmm. that's, you know, how far it is. Yeah. It would take that many years to get there at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. So we're just meant to assume, oh, they went at the speed of light and got there in four hours. Yeah. That's not yeah. how that works if that's how far it is. No, it's it's really not. The speed of light is legit how far away something is in that amount yeah. of time. It's like we parsecs. Go, yeah, we can't go the speed of light. We have gotten, we've gotten elements, I think, electrons very, very, very close to the speed of yeah. light. 99.9999%. We've never reached the speed of light. And if we did, I don't think we'd be able to see it or understand it. No, to me, this implied you're going beyond the speed of light. Yeah. But it's such Rel- an interesting... Uh, relativity is a bitch, apparently. Yeah. Oh, relativity. I, Einstein, you're so right. But, like, oh, relativity is just such... When it comes to anything space, trying to figure in, how do I include relativity in this? You're just like, nope, space travel, time doesn't change. You're just... We're just yeah. going to ignore this. There's quite a few sci-fi novels and movies that do a great job of showcasing relativity. Um, one of the novels... Actually, we did for Love of Pages... We read it months ago, but currently I think the episodes are coming out right now um, just because we all got busy and life happened. So now we're releasing the the secret, the Forever Wars episode of our Love of Pages podcast. And that sci-fi novel does a really good job of representing, representing, representing relativity in space and how time works when you travel further away from Earth or near such and such gravity and whatever all that stuff just like uh what is it interstellar with matthew mcconaughey yeah shows a really good representation of relativity as as well uh fly the navigator not so much completely (laughs) i mean it is true that the faster you go the, t- the slower time goes for you, which is why he did an age and everyone else did. But mm-hmm. besides that, like, yeah, everything else doesn't add up. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. I do like when they do go back when, okay. To, eventually, David gets back home with Max. And that's where you get the scene of them shooting the fireworks off the house. And because it's the 4th of July or whatever. And <laughs> And, but um, David realizes that if he goes back to staying in this time, then he's going to basically just be experimented on his entire life. And it's not normal. It's not his home. And so he's like, we're going to risk it. You're going to take me back in time kind of thing. Even though Max had told him, like, it's probably going to be way too dangerous for your fragile body. And David's like, no, I, I'm going to risk it. Let's let's go home. To which I kind of sort of wanted Max to tell him the odds that he would survive it or not. And even then, it really didn't seem that drastic of a thing to his body. It's not like he was stretched out or burst into atoms or anything and formed back together. It was just them flying through a space storm, it looked like. And then that was it. <laughs> 
It's not like he learned the secrets of the universe and it was too much for his 10% of brain that he uses, which, of all the facts to try and debunk of a sci-fi in the 80s, they chose the relativity and all that. They really should have focused on that 10% thing and being able to fill the other 90% with star charts. Because that fact has been debunked. It was debunked, I want to say... Kind of, I, I feel like it was probably formed in the 80s when we started monitoring brains. So the fact of the, the where that thing comes from is that when we were first monitoring brain wave activity, it seemed like we were only using about 10%. I think it's actually more than that, but we'll say 10% for the sake of what the movie said. Um, in truth, it's not like just you're using one part of your brain only. It's 10% of your brain at one time but everything is firing and talking just your 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 brain uses up a lot of energy and so it knows when to cut this section off and cut that section off and, and stuff like that and communicating it's not you're always using 100 percent of your brain it's just see but clearly this alien technology is be- beyond our comprehension and they know how to unlock that extra yeah. And put use it as temporary storage. There is no extra. It's it's literally <laughs> there. I just like how it's like it's like you've got I don't know a computer and you're only using like I don't know one gigabyte of space when you have one terabyte available. <laughs> but you're like like it's just it's, it's more like a RAM issue, isn't it? I guess a RAM issue. There it's, you it's, go. It's instead of storage. <laughs> um, you know that leads to the one major plot hole that I was like, huh, that could lead to like a sequel or maybe not. But mm. um, so part of the story is that the ship Max, uh, he has a much longer name that I can't remember now, like True Maxador or something Max-a-gillion like that. Maxagillion or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, the ship and Max lost his navigational information because after dropping off uh, David, mm-hmm. it wanted to look at some flowers and crashed into those power lines, which I guess scrambled its memory bank and it lost its navigational information, which yeah. is why the movie's called Flight of the Navigator. Apparently, mm-hmm. the robot or the AI had the good sense to put a copy of the, all of that information into his brain, as we just discussed. Yep. And after getting it back, which just took like a real quick scan, it was like super painless, um, he mm-hmm. said, oh, I'm just taking a copy of it. So, so that means that all of that information is still in there. He's not using it, though. And that was my biggest issue with it. It's not like it's a blank hole in your brain that you're not using or accessing. Your brain is, your whole brain is being used. It's just not all done <laughs> at the same time. Time. See, but like what if what so if that information sad. started to manifest itself and he became like he started inventing things like the kids in the explorers like he starts having dreams of like circuit boards and he starts to like draw them and no, like little by little they start making the sky <laughs> yeah that's it they're well all i mean flying. not not that silly um <laughs> but yeah so i guess to make a long story short the plot hole, well, the, the plot convenience existed that um, the reason why uh, David ended up in, eight years later was mm-hmm. because normally when they take a creature to study, they take them back to their original point in time that they were taken from so that mm-hmm. they aren't really missing. But because human bodies are so fragile, um, they didn't want to do that with him. And they're like, ah, he'll be fine. And <laughs> David, at the, by the end of the movie, is like, you know what, if I stay here... My family's older, 
everything's going to be really awkward, and mm-hmm. the the NASA people probably want to dissect me and study me for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm willing to risk it. You know, because I'm either going to have a shitty life here, or I'll just die. But either way, that's better than you know nothing. <sighs> that's so. They do that. It turns out to be fine. He survives it, and he then catches up with his family for that 4th of July romp that they were going to have and um, yeah so that's basically where that movie ends and you know they kind of leave it blank like well I don't know if they're going to see each other again or not but you know yeah. he's he kept a little sugar glider alien with him oh sugar gliders are so cute and yeah, yeah it's like a which bat you can see the obvious glider. strings on it yeah <laughs> gotta watch the standard man <laughs> i mean it's just the clarity i could never see those back on my old uh-uh. crt monitors with vhs but you know now we're dealing with mm-hmm. super crisp video yeah um well you get that shot of max flying through the air at the end through the fireworks as well so and he did the Wee herman left too right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I used to think Pee Wee Herman was hilarious when I was a kid, too. I did, too. Like, and then, now and I'm then like, things happened. It's <laughs> <That's> weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. So, it did come out. So, I guess in September 2017, Walt Disney Pictures did announce that they were going to do a reboot of Flight of the Navigator. And that, actually, they announced that it was in the works, which with Disney could just mean they've got one person trying to plot it out like not even written like in the works it's just it's been thought <laughs> it's been imagined Thoughts have been had. we're not we're not quite for sure what the title is even going to be yet um, or the pretend title the fake title what do you call it the not real title that movies have <laughs> mm. yeah like placeholder titles so yeah I forget placeholders yeah. so that nobody knows what it's really going to be about um, kind of thing. Oh, production title. There you go, production title. Yeah. <laughs> but that was 2017. It looks like nothing else has come out yet. Um, although Disney is a company that makes a lot of money. They did have a rough yeah. COVID with Disneyland being closed for a year, over a year, and you know, not being able to be at full capacity. Also, Disneyland Paris being closed for, I think, a year or two and all that. But so, they're kind of sort of hurting on money. I don't I don't know. It kind of depends on how they do their budgets. So, I'm sure yeah. this will be significantly pushed back. Probably. And I also feel like if it is going to be reboot, it's probably going to be like a Disney Plus movie. It's not... I don't see them taking it out to theaters. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think that this is the kind of movie that was good enough that it could have a decent remake or reboot, however they were going to do it. It doesn't have to be tied into the original, but it totally could at the same time. Um, Or it could just be like an original take on the same story, just kind of updated. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see this. This this is a movie, because it's a cult classic, but it's not like a cherished classic you know where it would be like sacrilege to redo it yeah no. i think it, it it falls in that middle ground where it's like you know you wouldn't redo roger rabbit that's just impossible but you know you would redo space jam which they yeah. are 
and it's basically done. So I would put that this more in the Space Jam category, where it's kind of like, you know, not, it's not a bad movie. It's entertaining, and it definitely resonated with people, but it's I, not sacrilege to I say, feel, like, let's make this again. I feel like there's a plot you could do, though, that would work really well. Because I feel like they could do, like... Max needs to come back for some reason. He lost his copy. And only it's like, I don't know, we'll say this time it's 1998 or 99 or something. When he when Max comes back and for whatever reason, David's son or, or daughter, daughter, David's daughter <laughs> inherited the, like it went down genetically. It just into her. <laughs> to her. And... And so he goes I mean, to movie do magic. it, it's, it's... messes up, and then boom! Now she's in twenty twenty one or something. Like I just, I feel like that would be hilarious because I feel like that would be so much more dramatic of a leap in technology than eighty six to you know, or, or because we seventy eight to eighty six. Yeah, because we know that temp- time travel works. Um, yeah. We could it could be a story where. It turns out Sarah Jessica Parker is actually his daughter from the future. Okay, I don't And she that. goes back. <laughs> See, but that would be interesting because then you have David who goes from like 1979 to 1986. And then you have Sarah Jessica Parker who goes from like some other time further in the future back to 1986. So they like overlap. And she's going to go back she to helps the future. <laughs> yes, she goes, wait. <laughs> She goes back to the past so that he can go further back into the past. Uh-huh. Call it back to the passer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could have a lot of fun with a reboot of this. You could, uh, yeah. There's potential yeah. here. Mm-hmm. All right. So to carry on the tradition that we've started now here, uh, <laughs> if you were going to make a drink for oh, is that Flight the of the Navigator. See, uh, I had another question set up. But, okay, I do like the drink one. Um, right. We can do both. There's no rules here. Okay. All right. You go first on the drink, because okay. I assumed you've already so, thought it up since you asked. I did. <laughs> as soon as I watched the movie, I was like, you know, I know exactly what I would make for this. So, I would get um, Ryan Reynolds' uh, Aviator Gin. Hey. I would get Coke and a twist of lime. And I would call it Flight of the Aviator. Okay. I thought about this a lot. <laughs> this this one's harder to think of because it's a kid movie. So it's like, what liquor to use? See, that's why I threw the Coke in there. I know. Yeah, it's got to be Coke. It has to be Coke because Coke is referenced. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My brain on drinks is not, not very good right now. I feel like it would be... It's got to be new Coke. If you could find new Coke. <laughs> Just new Coke. Didn't way. they re-release new Coke like a, a couple of years ago because of like a promotion with Stranger Things? Yep. They re-released it a couple yeah. of years ago. So I'm it's sure out you there. Can find it on eBay. Yeah. Um, new I'm sure Coke it's still good. I don't know. Why is this so hard? Yours was really good. You had time to think it out. I did, yeah. Um, I was prepared. <laughs> I don't know. I really want to go just Coke and rum because it's Florida. and. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Just, well, like, yeah, that, that would be a, like a Cuba Libre, and this would be a, technically it's a gin Cuba Libre, also known as a Cubata, but specifically because it's with aviator gin, and it's just so that yeah. it's a pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's aviator gin. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what would make it, like, futuristic, like, time travel, speed of lighty. I don't know. It's got to be blue in color, like light blue, because that's speed of light. Like, if you could make the drink look like that storm when they're going through the speed of light, supposedly, to time travel, mm. that would be well, pretty doesn't cool. Well, it, doesn't it turn reddish? Like, the Max's, like, eye turns into, like, a red, like, vortex? Yeah. So, like, a shit ton of grenadine, maybe? <laughs> well, you don't need a lot of grenadine to make it turn that reddish, though. Um probably a layered drink it's got to be bubbly though so i'd probably go with sprite over coke which is the same mm. family like sprite and get it with one of those cups that self mixes it's got like the little thing at the bottom so like as you're drinking it it's like spinning itself yeah that'd be cool yeah i well, you gotta write these down i like yours i like yours best <laughs> aviator flight of the aviator that's, that was good um so my question was going to be what if you could take any like small prop from this film what would it Ooh, be i like that question Damn. Mm-hmm. um hmm will we consider the entire ship a prop <laughs> i said small prop because i knew okay. it would be a ship so all right um <laughs> something from this movie honestly i think i'd want that nasa hat mm. man that was gonna be mine <laughs> okay then i'll, like, I'll do a, a backup um <laughs> let's go with ralph ralph robotic assistant something whatever the other two okay fine i guess i'll count him as small since he's not the ship um yeah and yeah. he talks yeah yeah, Ralph. Ralph was pretty yeah. interesting of a robot. He 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 gets confused. He doesn't always do that well. He he reminds me of like an oversized version of K nine from Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the prop question though. I used to ask that a lot on Reddit when I used to Reddit more. Oh heavily. yeah. Yeah, no. I oh, know I love that NASA hat. I'm wondering if you can find like a newer cuz everybody's releasing their retro merch everywhere. I mean, if if yeah. you can't find it, I would be shocked. Like, oh, that, that was that was a cool NASA hat. Like I wanted that. That's where that question came from. Was like, "Man, I kind of want that hat." And I got eaten, but like I still kind of want that hat. Um uh, the answer is yes. You can get that black hat with the gold NASA lettering online <gasps> very easily. Really? For like, yep. not expensive? <laughs> I mean, less than 20 bucks. Holy crap, really? Wow. Yeah. You can get the trucker version also that has the <gasps> mesh back and the solid. Ooh, all right. That's good to know. Yeah, guess I know. a bunch of them out there. Yeah, because I need more hats <laughs> that I don't ever yeah. wear. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Do they have a Ralph? They have like a little um, little Hot Wheel version of Ralph. Maybe. Uh, it's basically. It just looks like a filing cabinet on wheels. Oh, you can get a Lego version of Ralph. Ah, there we go. You can get a somebody Lego made a. Of it. Yeah, it looks just like it. That's awesome. 
Let's see. If we look at the Disney Wiki, RELF stands for Robotic Assistant Labor Facilitator, which has to be one of the laziest like acronyms. <laughs> it's what is it? It's it's a robot. It assists. Robotic with Assistant labor. <laughs> labor Facilitator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is a. It's pretty on the nose name for a robot. <laughs> It's basically a glorified delivery cart. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, the hat, the hat for sure. I'm trying to think. Maybe I'm gonna start calling my remotes a TV wand now. <laughs> Can you pass me the TV wand? <laughs> the TV wand, please. It's like what? <laughs> wow! Apparently, Etsy is a treasure trove for Flight of the Navigator inspired, uh, just merchandise. Etsy's a trip for like everything. Yeah. I find so many retro Disney stuff on there all the time. I love it. Then like it, it becomes kind of a of a conflict though because it's like, well, it's not official and Disney doesn't look kindly on unofficial non licensed merchandise, but at the same time, where else are you gonna get it? Well if they're able to sell it and Disney doesn't know about it, then it's probably okay for them to sell it. Oh wow! You can get I think a the big old comforter set, a flight of the navigator. You can get a coffee mug that has that mm -hmm. little sugar glider that says "Hang in there," like the cat. Yeah. Uh, you can get a tumbler with Max's like head on it. Mm-hmm. And three D printed models of the ship. Oh man, there's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, Disney gets kind of weird about that stuff. So like. The last time I remember Disney really breaking down on people selling their own merchandise for Disney was the Baby Yoda phenomenon, which is kind of sort of Disney's fault, although I understand their reasoning and the fact that Disney was behind on their own merch because they wanted Baby Yoda to be a secret. Um, the one thing that they took down and would have sued the person if they didn't take it down and stop selling was the crochet pattern of baby yoda so yeah. like this person made a crochet pattern and she was selling the pattern for other people to make it themselves but disney did not want her to sell the crochet pattern but she could still sell the baby yoda dolls that she made that herself sounds with backwards to me but <laughs> yeah and i only know that because one of my coworkers crochets and she managed to buy the pattern before <laughs> So she can make them, and she can still make them and sell them, from what I understand. But I also think you can't, like, get too good at selling it either. But I don't know. Yeah. I get, I get really... It's very confusing. I understand it. It's more of, like, the business side of Disney. Because, like, to me, yeah, you kind of want to get all the money from the merch, but at the same time, that merch at least is free advertising to your thing in a way but i don't know disney merch for baby yoda when it first came out was not strong at all even when it started coming out those crocheted baby yodas were a lot cuter than the little stuffed baby yodas you can find in galaxy's <laughs> edge but <laughs> that's on you disney make them cuter <laughs> also you can totally find that song um, I don't believe there's a complete version, but mm. they have a three and a half minute long version of the song that's looped. 
Uh, so I guess it just repeats the same part from the movie over and over again. Probably. I don't think I need that in my life. <laughs> I did like, it really sounded like, I was like, is that Devo? Is that Talking Heads? It's not Depeche Mode, no. Yeah, Dave like- Katai and Guy Moon are yeah. the, I guess, yeah. people who made it. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that's 1986's Flight of the Navigator with basically just with Sarah Jessica Parker. You really don't need to remember anybody else from it, I don't think. Definitely don't remember Pee Wee Herman from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and I guess technically uh, the boy that plays David, he uh, ended up having a really rough adulthood. And I think as of 2006, he was arrested for uh, bank robbery. Wow. Well, yeah. And, and you always know it when you're looking up their profile and it's like their picture from when they were still a kid. And you're like, oh, you've either left the business or you've had a rough go at it. Like <laughs> just. And it was definitely the latter for this one. It's yeah. um, If you look up the actor's name, you'll get the mugshot within two or three pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so, John... Um, do you have any last words? Okay, do you consider this a gem? How about that? I don't think we've said that yet. Is this is this glorious representation um, of 80s sci-fi? Where do you place I, it? I would say that this is a nicely polished metallic uh, adornment. Adornment. Yeah. It's it's a decent it's um it's it's like citrine. Like it's it's a nice, pretty yellow color citrine, but it's not that strong, and not a lot of people are going to buy rings of it. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's no emerald, but it's it's still pretty fun to watch. It was enjoyable. There were a lot of enjoyable moments. I feel like it fell flat about a quarter before the ending, though. I don't know if it got rushed or what, but it just started to go, this yeah, was getting interesting, so. and now it's not. Yeah. I feel like the plot had no real major resolution. It was just like, well, I'd rather die than live here. <laughs> that was basically it. I was like, wow, okay. Well, very, um, I don't know, existential theme for a kid's movie. But yeah, like we said, we don't know the full extent of any changes Disney might have imposed. I think the movie was rushed and they just kind of had to come to an ending. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just good enough that I still look back on it kindly. Mm-hmm. But... I wouldn't be devastated if they remade it. Yeah, same here. Like, I definitely could see this being remade very easily and wouldn't hate it. Um, So I guess that's it. Flight of the Navigator, 1986. You can find it currently on Disney+. Plus. Yay! Um, John, if anybody wanted to talk to you about the potential of the movie Tomorrowland, where can they find you? Oh, please do, because I have things to say about that movie. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I am at Magic Bollocks. All right. Um, if you want to discuss the history of Disney attractions, the ones that we have and no longer have, um, you can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey Writes. Um, you can find archives of this podcast and others at our website, geekalitemedia.com. Um, you can also find us as at Media on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Media. Uh, don't forget to check out. We do have a Patreon page. If you got a couple extra dollars floating around, check us out on Patreon as Media, and you'll get exclusive content and a 
do believe you occasionally get to decide what we talk about for a conversation or a podcast and you know you'll get your name shouted out at the beginning of a podcast because who doesn't want to hear their name on a podcast over speakers yeah so yeah don't don't forget to check out our patreon page um (laughs) yes the bonus content and blooper reels are really worth it um we we should do the name song for every patron the name song (laughs) Also, because I need to mention this on as many podcasts possible, um, so if you've listened to Journey into Mystery and Geeks Watch recently, um, one of the bonus contents on our Patreon page, I do believe, is going to be us casting the Muppets Avengers, so be sure to look out for that one. (laughs) It's in three podcasts, so now it must happen, right? We're going to cast the Muppets Avengers. Hey, if you put it out there, it'll manifest. I know, right? I'm just going to keep saying it every podcast. (laughs) I I think they greatly underestimated the love I have for Muppets. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Um, Please, wherever you're listening to this to, please, you know, click that subscribe button and rate us and review us and give us a like or however it works on podcatchers and all that stuff um it, that's actually a big and awesome major help to us um yeah until next time always remember to geek, geek out. out this concludes our broadcast